Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from Western Front Association. I'm Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 12th of February 2018 and this is episode number 50. In this programme, I talk to friend and historian Charles Fair. We take a survey through the 28 battalions of the London Regiment to consider their unique heritage, traditions and character. Charles, welcome back to the podcast. Now, today we're going to talk about a, a subject of mutual interest uh, between our both, which is the London Regiment. Firstly, can you tell me what your interest is in the London Regiment and how you became obsessed with it like me? Uh, specifically, because my grandfather was second in command of the 1st 19th London Regiment, that is to say the 1st Battalion of the 19th Battalion of the London Regiment, from which came from St Pancras. Um, so they're a very working class unit from the area around St Pancras and Eastern Stations and northwards in the borough of Camden. So my interest is obviously similar because my grandfather was a private in the one stroke 13 London Regiment, also known as the Kensingtons, which were based uh, just off uh, Kensington High Street in Adam and Eve Mews. And my other grandfather served in the Artist Rifles in the 1920s as a sergeant, um, which was based at the bottom of the road going up to Camden, where the 19th Londons are based, uh, or were based rather. Um, so like you, I've got a, a similar interest um, based on, on sort of um, maternal and paternal grandfather's service. Mm-hmm. So it brings, brings us to the question, why is the London Regiment so unique and why are we so obsessed with it? What's so special about it? I think there's two reasons that stand out. Firstly, there were no regular battalions. There were, as you know, a few territorial-only regiments, such as the Cambridges, the Hertfordshires, and the Londons were another one of those, with no exact counterparts in the regular army. So that's the first one. The second reason why it's unique is it was so big whereas a typical an ordinary regiment in which had a regular battalions plus territorial battalions might have two maybe four territorial battalions alongside two regular battalions um whereas the london regiment was an order of magnitude different um there were well 25 battalions london regiment plus the artist rifles at 28th and the inns of court um, and HAC were, who uh, did not uh, deign to take on the numbers of the London Regiment when it was formed in 1908. And each of those battalions was a distinct, really a distinct regiment in its own in its own right, um, which was a legacy of their origins in the volunteer force um, in 1859 to 1860 and onwards. So you have units like the London Scottish, who became the 14th Londons in 1908, were very distinct in terms of their regimental identity and traditions and uniform with from other battalions of London Regiment who are equally distinct, the London Irish, the post office rifles and so on. So if we actually just go through the um, order, the seniority, obviously the most senior regiments are numbered at one, and go through and just briefly outline each of the regiments, because actually that's in itself in the diversity of the units and where they're drawn and the type of men they recruited. I think that is, is for me, probably the, the most most interesting thing. So first of all, you've got the uh, first four regiments of the London uh, Regiment, one through to four, which were 
Royal Fusilier units, and these were based largely in the East End of London, with, say, for instance, the 4th Battalion in Hoxton Square. <laughs> these, these were largely drawn from, I think, the London Royal Fusiliers is, was also a London-based uh, unit, but also a predominantly regular unit. Yes, it, it was. The Royal Fusiliers itself had no territorial units, so the first four battalions were affiliated to the Royal Fusiliers, but they were never actually, they weren't territorial battalions of the Royal Fusiliers, so there is a subtle but important distinction. Um, so, in fact, all of the London regiment battalions did have an affiliation with regular units in the sense that, for example, the 90 Londons were affiliated to the Middlesex Regiment, as were the 7th Londons. Um, and the ones south of the river, for example, were affiliated to typically affiliated to the Queen's Regiment or the Royal West Kents uh, and so on. But they were never territorial battalions of the regiment that were affiliated to. So then we move on to the London Rifle Brigade, which was the 5th Battalion London Regiment, and they were pretty special. And they, they were predominantly middle class, drawn from uh, the financial sector, based in Bunhill Road in the city. They were, and of course you had to pay a membership fee to join the London Rifle Brigade. Now, of course, being numbered 5th was a bit of an insult to them, because their motto was Primus in Urbe, and they um, did not take kindly to being numbered 5th below the, 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 the what they considered more lowly uh, and more working class first four battalions affiliated to the Royal Fusiliers. And then, talking of lowly battalions, we need to move, move on to the next two in the sequential series, which are the Shiny Six and the Cast Iron Seventh. Now, what do you know about those units? Because they're ones I don't know much about at all. Um, wrong, wrong way round. It was the Cast Iron oh. Six and the Shiny Seventh. That shows um, my ignorance. The Cast Iron Six were based in uh, Farringdon Road, um, and the drill hall is actually still very visible today. And you can see it, and it actually was hit by a Zeppelin bomb. Um, and you can actually see plaque to that there. So they, a lot of them came from the printing trade around Fleet Street and, um, you know, different companies of the six were often from different printing organisations. So there's one was from Amalgamated Press and so on. Um, and that's one of the reasons I think why the cast iron, it may have been something to do with the typesetting, I, I, I've, I suspect. I, I'm not an expert on them. Though the, the, there was a, I have heard of them being referred to by members who were, this is through um, Clive Harris, who, who, who knew an old, an old veteran there, who said they were referred to themselves as the Fleet street pals at one point so and then you've got the shiny seven as well who um affiliated the middlesex regiment but i have to admit i have no particular knowledge of them so charles now we move from the sixth and seventh battalions to the eighth battalion which is was known as the post office rifles that they were and one of the unique units which give the london regiment its character so they were originally based as a, a volunteer unit um and drill halls that they used for their, their, their training premises, the GPO facilities in, in Mount Pleasant. And then on the formation of the territorial force, they ended up sharing the drill hall of the London Rifle Brigade, 130 Bunhill Row. And this came about as a cost-saving measure by the War Office because the LRB had got itself into debt by about £4,000 to build this massive drill hall at Bunhill Row. And... It, it couldn't basically couldn't pay it off, even though it was taking in subscriptions. Um, so the, the the war office took over Bunhill Row uh, from the LRB and insisted that if it was going to do that, the post office rifles would have to share the drill hall. And the way they did that was by 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 parading on different nights during the week. Were they drawn from the same social class? I think well, very different. The, the LRB, as you know, was 
a very middle class unit sort of people in finance, law and so on and city professions typically, or maybe clerks, you know, from a good background working in city firms, um, often people commuting from places like Clapham. Um, whereas the post office rivals recruited from members of the post office, who in those days, of course, was um, you know effectively civil civil servants. So they tended to be more across the the classes, with the officers there typically being managers or senior managers in 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 the post office itself. And then we come on to the ninth battalion, which was known as the Queen Victoria Rifles, and they were based in Davis Street uh, in the West End. And they were they were predominantly again a very mixed unit. Lots of railway workers up from Marleybone. Um, obviously, a lot of retail uh, workers in retail along Oxford Street. Again, quite. Quite quite a posh unit in, by many standards, but uh, but they didn't charge a fee like um, like like the London Rifle Brigade. No, no, and that, they had a they had a fine drill hall there in, in Davies Street, which actually got hit at the Blitz. So the one that's there today, which is just about to be sold off, um, I, I believe, is is not the one that the men would have paraded in. So then we come to the tenth battalion. Now they're really they're really quite an interesting battalion. Now they originally started off in Paddington. Yes, they did, and I believe they, that area is pretty tough for recruiting. So that drill hall, it wasn't actually closed down. It ended up being a an outstation, and I think some of the men there became sort of it was a it was an out an out company station for one of the other battalions so the drill was still used um but it wasn't there wasn't enough in the area to recruit a whole battalion so it's then moved up to hackney i believe it was the grave at hackney i think was the address the interesting thing about the the, the network of recruitment of the london regiment that you have units for instance like the second london's recruiting around uh pimlico westminster and maybe north lambeth um, but also having a company c company based in kilburn so you yes have quite, you have quite an, an interesting patchwork of units being spread across london's where some have got a very geographical uh recruiting recruiting areas for instance like your 19th battalion round camden yeah. others like the london rifle brigade that we talked about are generally draw their their, their men from northern and southern suburbs yes it, it, it could if they were drawing men who were commuting in to town obviously that you had the drill hall near where they worked even if they lived didn't live in london they might have lived in surrey um or or even hertfordshire and and, and and kent so they might have commuted in so there was a concentration of drill halls in the center of town to to reflect that so you had units like that who drew on the commuters you had those who like the London Scottish and London Irish and the post office rifles who drew from a particular type of of, of man, whether professional or ethnic uh, or, or, or nationalist, maybe I should say. The civil service rifle is another one of that type who drew from that either the people of those nationality or that profession wherever they lived in London. And that caused some resentment to the more locally based units who might, in some cases, were struggling. They resented the fact that the London Irish, for example, might come in and, and poach any Irishman that happened to live near that battal- that other battalion's drill hall. And then some, many were the, the more working class ones, tended to be very localised. Um, because people, those working class lads, tended to live and work often within quite a narrowly defined area of, of, of the capital. An example of that could be the 11th Battalion, um, the Finsbury Rifles, also known as the Pentonville Pissers. Oh, I didn't really, I didn't know that one. That's a that's a good nickname. Yes, I think they they, they, they would be. And you can see that their you know their recruitment area, when you sort of plot that drill hall, you know it how close it is to third london's up in um just off shepherdess walk um in 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 shoreditch you know some of those those units their 
areas are very concentrated um, in, in quite a small area. And the middle class units were less affected by that because they were pulling in men from who were commuting in from outside. And that, that brings us on to the 12th Battalion, which is the Rangers. Now, again, they're, they're, they're a really interesting uh, unit in terms that they drew a number of companies from the um, Gas, Coke and Light Company, or I got that wrong wrong way around. And again, from the Beckton Works and the Nine Elm Works down in Vauxhall, also the Beckton Works, which was based in Newham, and it was used as a set for um, Full Metal Jacket. And they yes, also, they also right. had company from um, the Polytechnic, which is now Westminster University. So they had a really interesting social mix of, of companies drawn from across London. They did, and that's not fairly unusual to have that. You, most of the, the battalions were unitary, and they had one drill hall, and most the, the men you know, all, from all the companies paraded in, in that one drill hall. So to have outstations was relatively unusual. The 12th London seemed to have excelled at that, um, but only three or four of the other battalions actually had an outstation, and that's that's in stark contrast to, say, a a, um, a, a territorial battalion based in the county outside London, where, for example, Hertfordshire's had eight, eight company drill halls spread across Hertfordshire, um, plus another probably half a dozen or so outstations scattered around the county. So the London battalions generally didn't do that. It was pretty rare. The 12th, I think, was the extreme exception with a this sort of way out outstation down in Beckton, um, which was that funny little little bit of sort of enclave of, of London tucked down well down the Thames in Essex. Because actually, actually, I mean, you talk about the drill halls um, being a unitary function, but actually, the way that the 13th London, which was my grandfather's battalion, was structured was very much it drew its eight companies. Um, obviously, before the war, it was based on an eight company system, and again, they represented different areas of London, like Chelsea bits of Fulham, bits around Kensington, and they would meet in a drill hall in, in a given part of the night because the drill was actually really small and could never accommodate um, the unit. But obviously it was a, a, a regional recruiting structure where you join A company, which was, I think, was Kensington, or E company, which was Chelsea. And so you'd actually know men in your local area. But as you say, they had a unitary drill hall rather than than a, a physical structure outside. Yeah, the, the 12, I think, was a very interesting one down at Beckton. And they actually had a rifle range with it, an outdoor rifle range. You can see on the, the maps at the time. Um, it's probably probably the only infantry one that had that kind of facility. I mean, certainly the Kensington in, in Kensington had a had an, an underground uh, rifle range, which was built, I think, under under some of it. I think it's probably still there to this very day. But again, that was it's a, it's a tiny drill hall and now used as part of an, uh, a London um, reserve unit for the uh, RMAC. Yes, I mean, most of the drill halls, the infantry drill halls, had a Morris tube range. That was the Morris tube was the thing that fitted inside the, the 303 rifle, so you could fire a sub-caliber bullet of, I think, 0.22 so you could you could learn the basics of uh, of of um target shooting with that you know you could practice your rifle drills you could learn about um how to, to aim a rifle your breathing all those things that you do so when you get down onto a proper rifle range and firing full bore you've at least know how to breathe take position to squeeze the trigger all those things that you you do when you're you're, you're training firearms you haven't wasted time on full bore uh, full bore um equipment on a range day which you would only get once in a while and often only an annual camp and maybe a battalion skill at arms meeting so full full uh, full ball rifle training was quite a, a difficult thing to do particularly when you lived in london you'd have to get out to somewhere like bisley 
um, to do that. Or there is a there was a rifle range well down the Thames towards um, towards Tilbury on the north north side of the Thames. I did shoot that many years ago when I was in the TA. But it was quite a difficult thing to organise for a territorial. So the indoor range was a pre pretty much prerequisite for any infantry unit, and you knew that your men would be up to a certain standard of at least the basics of you know, acquiring a target, your breathing, you know, how to regain your position once the shot's been fired and that kind of thing. Which, which brings us to the, and we're halfway through our, our brief survey of London um, battalion units, which brings us to the nature of the territorial force, which the, these units were all part of, which was under the Haldane reforms, which was essentially scheduled for home defence. Uh, and these men were part-time. They, they did a Tuesday or a Wednesday night, plus two um, two weeks at camp. Um, so, you know, they all had did job, full-time jobs plus family commitments as well. Yes, that's right. So the men had to do their annual camp plus a, a number of drill halls, um, drill parades and weekend camps and things to be class efficient, which meant you got your bounty. Which was which five, be, five pounds then, which was probably quite a lot of money. Five pounds it was. I mean, I remember being the TA myself back in the late 1980s, you got, um, you know, a, a, a couple of hundred quid or whatever it was at the end of the year, which certainly didn't go down, down badly. So we come to um, now the posh end of the London Regiment and the 14th Battalion, which I think you've already alluded to, which is known as the London Scottish. Again, it was a unit where you needed three levels of qualification to become a member. You had to be pay a fee, which was, I think, was around a guinea a year. Um, which yes. was, secondly, you have to, to be Scottish. Um, or of Scottish ancestry, and thirdly, you had to be recommended by a, a fellow. So this was an elite, socially elite unit, again, drawn from professional lawyers, architects, and people of, of Scottish descent. So that was a, you know, probably one of these most socially elite unit within in the in all of the London Regiment. Oh, I think certainly it was. I mean, their, their drill hall at 58 Buckingham Gate was, I think, one of the finest drill halls in London, and it's, I think, it still is as a territorial unit, relatively exclusive, a unit that prides itself on its ability to march from London to Brighton uh, the 50 miles or so in in record time um, I think certainly consider it as the elite of the territorials in London if not the country the next two units were key rivals of them the 15th London which was the civil service rifles again I think probably similar again as you put, as you allude to it's an occupational uh, again but was civil service rifles predominantly drawn from sort of clerical and clerk uh, sort of middle class roles and and, and yes and, and and managers within the, the the civil service um so they had a fantastic drill hall which I'd, I'd like to go and see which is in Somerset House so it was built inside one of the courtyards at the lower level, um, level of the Thames, and the, the rifle range apparently is still there. And that's in, yes, it's, it's in Somerset House, which was, again, built at, a, for them, very little cost because they got, essentially got that bit of land for free. So co- compared, unlike the LRB got into debt, the civil servants were very, very canny in, in managing to build that. So then we move on to the 16th London Rifles, which was the Queen's Westminster Rifles, and they were they were at 59 Buckingham Gate, is it Buck Road? Next door to the London Scottish. So you had two units of the so-called Gay Grey Brigade. I better make sure I phrase that right. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the Grey Brigade were were, were side by side and, and big big rivals. 
and they were known as the Grey Brigade because they wore grey um, as volunteers, and that included also the um, 13th and 14th Londons um, as well, if I'm if I'm correct, if I remember the Ken- Kensington's marching song. Uh, yes, I'm not too familiar with the, the, the ins and outs of the, the Grey Brigade. <laughs> I know, it's, it's a very dangerous dangerous word, but let's, let's just rapidly move on to the 17th Battalion, London Regiment. Um, I think they're a particularly interesting one, actually, because they are one of the most working-class battalions of the lot, of the lot and also the battalion at the highest proportion of working class Jews um, drawn from the East End. And in fact, by my reckoning that the East End was under drill hall, there were relatively few drill halls in relation to the number of men who lived and worked in the area. Obviously, there was a large Jewish community in the East End of London. Um, a lot of um, immigrants had come in from Eastern Europe in um, the, the 1900s and early late 1890s, uh, 1890s and 1900s, and they all moved into the East End. And this this 17th Battalion actually recruited large numbers. I think you did a study on this, if I'm correct. I, I did. I looked at the British Book of Jewry, and actually, the highest number of um, Jews in the London Regiment, when I, I, I tallied it up, were actually in the 17th London. So it was still a relatively small proportion of the overall numbers, um, but it was just more than anybody else. I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a, a over half or anything like that. But they were, they, these were tending to be um, probably second generation. I think ones with a reasonable command of English, ones who maybe grown up here or maybe come over as young children and had developed pretty good English. And their officers were sometimes men who who um, worked maybe in the city, but were you know, the, the sometimes Jewish officers who had a very philanthropic uh, side to them. An interesting unit, actually, that I think needs a lot more study from a sociological um, perspective. I think that's something we may want to address in a minute. But um, to complete our survey, then we come to the 18th Battalion London Regiment, which are known as the London Irish. Yes, the London Irish. So they they had a well, they they had a, a drill hall actually in the Duke of York's military HQ, which they moved into in I think it was 1909 when that building was acquired when the Duke of York School moved down to Dover. That's the um, Duke of York uh, barracks in Chelsea near Sun Chelsea. That, that's right. So that when that building was bought, the London Irish moved into it, and a lot of other territorial force units from around London were also quartered there. So most of London's medical units were based there. Um, there were various other odds and ends, but it was a it, it was really sort of ground um, you know, ground zero as far as the London TF itself was concerned so for example the division headquarters of the, of the second london division were there so obviously the, just um, as a bit of background there the london um regiment formed two divisions of around uh, 12 battalions each uh, three brigades of four battalions so it was the first london uh, regiment first london division and second london division yes and of course both of those were then on the outbreak of war they were effectively duplicated when the second line battalions were formed and then we move on to the 19th uh, Battalion London Regiment, St Pancras Rifles, which is your unit. So they were a very working class unit with a drill hall at 76 Camden High Street. Um, it's now a, an Argos. Um, so they drew predominantly from an area of about a mile radius around that point, down as far as the road between St Pancras and in the eastern they didn't draw from south of that because you would then encroach you on other, other people's territories and they went about as far north as highgate um but it was a very concentrated within that roughly one mile radius very working class unit um one of certainly towards the sort of the lower end of the the scale 
Um, but interestingly, it had the highest number of Jewish officers. So, and these were the sort of very Anglicised, the, the Anglo Jewry, the, the sort of same class that people like Seafree Sassoon came from, who'd been you know, established in British life for, for centuries. So, these were the sort of professional men who really, for all intents and purposes, were fully integrated. Um, into sort of upper middle and middle class British life, and they had sort of prominent positions in law, finance, the city, and those sort of occupations. So living in North London, places like Hampstead and Highgate, who commuted in to London down down the Northern Line, and then they were able to stop off on their way home and use the you know work out of the drill hall in, in Camden High Street. That that sort of um, picture of the officer corps is very very similar to the Kensingtons. Again, um, the Kensingtons drew their officers from you know a wide group, especially around uh, Chelsea and Kensington, and they had, for instance, um, so it's so Lionel Jeffries Cohen, who or um, eventually became Lord Lord Cohen. Um, again, very very similar background, established family um, in the law, and they also had um, Charles Dickens's grandson Cedric Charles Dickens, oh, yes. who was an officer. Again, one one of the celebrities. So again, I think I think you know that's that's pretty similar across all London regions. Now we move south of the river. Yeah, so this is interesting. I think the the the, the London territorial force I think was underrepresented south of the river. Um, there are relatively few drill halls south of the river compared to the concentration in the city in the West End. So the twentieth Londons is the furthest sort of east of the South London drill halls for infantry. There were a few others, artillery um, people over in Woolwich. The 20th Londons had their drill hall at Blackheath on the common there, where, in fact, there's still a territorial army unit there today. And the 20th London Memorial, they did have an outstation at Woolwich um, where they were competing with all these artillery units. So that particular unit was affiliated to the the, uh, Royal West Kent's. So, um, and then we come to the 21st Battalion London Regiment. Yes, yeah, so the, the 21st Londons were the first Surrey Rifles. Um, so their drill hall was at Flodden Road in Camberwell. Um, there's a nice memorial not far away at St John's Church. And so they they were affiliated to the, let's get this right, East Surrey's, I think, wasn't it? No, I have to admit, I'm not an expert on that, that them by any means. No, I think I think all south of the river uh, always get, gets people, even though both of us have lived south of the, of, of the river in London for most of, certainly my life, I spent it in, in, in Wandsworth, which brings us to the 22nd and 23rd battalions. Yes, so the, the 22nd, um, they were based at um, uh, Jamaica Road in in um, Bermondsey. And the, the 23rd were, they, they were at St John's Hill Battersea. I was just getting clear in my head. I wasn't muddling the 22nd with the, with the 24th. So, re, okay, recap. The, the, so the 22nd Londons were um, headquartered in um, Jamaica Road in Bermondsey. And the 23rd Londons were headquartered at the St John's Hill in Clapham. So if you go come out of Clapham Station, it's literally just opposite you on that on on that road next to the um, the old cinema there. So now we move to the last four battalions, which is the twenty fifth through to the twenty eighth. Now some of these are really quite interesting well, and not. But step back a moment. We've missed the twenty fourth. Ah, sorry, twenty um, fourth battalion. The, the... So the 24th Battalion were based down at, at Oval. So they were in Braganza Road. I think it's now called New Road. There's, again, still a drill hall there, actually, and a very nice memorial to them on the corner of the, the park there by, um, I think it's the Kennington, just up from Kennington Tube Station, I think it is. So, so they were affiliated to the Queen's Royal West Surrey Regiment. 
So all from the twentieth to right the way through to the twenty fourth battalion, generally drew their their probably their their men from sort of I would imagine working class communities south of the river. Yes, um, probably from varied occupational groups. Yes, there is. And I, th- I think that you know the next one is uh, uh, I think one of the the big unknowns of twenty fifth London's the London London cyclists um, who in, 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 I suppose. <laughs> In, in one respect, benefited from not going overseas in the Western Front as a as a formed unit, in the sense that they were never subjected to quite the heavy losses. But they, a lot of their men, the 25th Londoners, were sent initially overseas to India. I think it was to garrison units out there. But a lot of their men ended ended up coming back and forming reinforcements into the first or second line battalions of. Of, of the other battalions of the London Regiment. Um, so, for example, I've got a, a draft of 25th Londons who ended up in the 19th London Regiment. And I'm sure you found a few in, in the Kensingtons. Yes, um, yes, there are. There are Again, there's lots of issues around the, the problem of trying to retain um, reinforcements from the units that people had affiliated or joined and, and then, being, then being cross-posted to other units. That caused a lot of trauma in the early part of the war. And obviously, the 25th Londons are interesting because they were based in South Fulham. Yes, they were. Their, their drill hall is still being used by the army today as well uh, on Fulham High Street. So then we come to the 26th Battalion, which is the Inns of Court. Now, who were they? Now, that's an interesting one because the Inns of Court refused to use the number given to them. So the Inns of Court was a, known as the Devil's Own, was the, um, in fact, an, an officer training corps. So it was really the Inns of Court OGC. So it actually spent most of its war training officers at um, in in Berkhamsted in Hertfordshire. So something like, I can't remember the exact number, I think it's about 16,000 men passed through the OTC, the Intercourt OTC. And as officer training became more professionalised later on in the war with the officer cadet battalions, it typically, if you were a schoolboy leaving the public school age 18, you would normally go to the Intercourt OTC for two or three months before you were old enough to then go to your officer cadet battalion for your four months officer proper officer training. Um, so it served as a very useful holding ground during the war for officers, for to middle class officers who were, you know, getting ready for a, to go for properly for a commissioning course. But pre-war, it had that had that role as as an OGC, and it exclusively served the legal profession around Grazing Court, around Hoban, around the, around the Temple. Yes, it did. It did. And again, it's, it's something I'm not 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 uh, particularly expert on myself. And now, then we come to another rather snooty battalion, or maybe they wouldn't see themselves as snooty, which is the Honourable Artillery Company, or HAC. Yes. So they, of course, refused to use the number allocated to them. Um, uh, as well, so the, the number twenty seven and as with the twenty six was ne- were never actually used. Um, so the HAC considered themselves to be and still do the oldest unit in the order of battle of British Army, with you know con- with, with going right back to the trained bands that existed in sort of late medieval London. I think if I'm uh, I'm right in saying so, there's, there's a very uh, there's a very long legacy and tradition with the HAC that predates much of the regular army. So from that point of view, when you're talking seniority, they would probably argue that they had, they were more senior to people like the, the LRB, the 5th Londons. So finally, we come on to the uh, most junior battalion in the London Regiment, the Artist Rifles. Um, and I always wondered about this unit, but it actually it did contain artists. And my grandfather was an artist in the 20s and carried on that tra- tradition. Um, he was a sergeant and um, did 10 years from 1922. Uh, but he'd previously been a, a captain in the Royal Garrison Artillery So it, it, during, the, during the, the Great War. So, you know, it was that sort of professional 
um, group where artists actually did meet and did serve together before the war and also probably during the war. Um, yes, exactly. That, that's right. It was. So it was actually one that, uh, in fact, Wilfred Owen served in uh, briefly. That's where he, he where he initially joined before he was later commissioned into the the Manchester Regiment. So the artists' rifles actually they did send a battalion over to France that were initially at least used as a line of communication troops to look after the lines of communication in France, and then they became more of an officer training unit. So they, that was, in fact, much of their main role um, was to train officers out in France because, of course, with the casualty rates amongst junior officers, it, it was increasingly important to be able to commission men from the ranks. Um, so they did that. And then back in this country, they also had um, out in Gidea Park in Essex, they also had a the Artist Rifles ATC. So they, they formed an officer training corps, which, similar to the Intercourt ATC, trained officers for those two or three months before that those young officers were old enough to go to a proper uh, commissioning course in OCB. Charles, cool. that's great. Okay, cheers. You have been listening to the Mentioned in Dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Russman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.